What is up, my friends? Welcome to Drop In with Dr. J, where we have open, authentic conversations about all things mental health, including overcoming perfectionism. Oh, I'm so excited to have on our guest for this episode, who is a licensed psychologist in private practice in Los Angeles, California, specializing in the treatment of OCD and related disorders, addiction, and codependency. She is a leading expert on overcoming perfectionism and is the founder of the online platform, Perfectionism University. She knows one can be a prisoner of their own perfectionism. Her hope for others is that they turn the judgment to compassion and ultimately live a life where they embrace perfectionism imperfection rather than striving for perfection. That was a good demonstration of that right there. <laughs> Dr. Manije, thank you so much for dropping in. Well, thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited. So we always love to hear about the personal connection of why experts, professionals like yourself get interested in certain topics. So why are you so personally invested in perfectionism? I definitely have a personal story, which started about a decade ago after I read one and only Dr. Brenna Brown's book on gifts of imperfection, right? And you have this rude awakening that behind all this anxiety and guilt that I was dealing with is this need for perfectionism. And what's so kind of difficult to first grasp is logically we know, right? We're like, oh, mistakes happen and nobody's perfect. But you start to really have to own up that emotionally you are stuck in that trap and that you are trying to do things perfectly. And part of the story of my journey is I came to United States two weeks before I turned 15 and that gave my therapist and I a lot to talk about. But that's part of the story of how perfectionism came into my life as well, because you're trying to fit in. It's like the way I, I kind of processed it with my therapist was like, especially I was an adolescent at the time, you go into a party and everybody's already mingling. That's what it feels like going through a life transition like that middle of my adolescent. And I'm sure there are so many different versions of this. People can relate to it. So perfectionism comes into your life because again on an emotional level you want to belong you want to fit in you want that sense of belonging safety connection and you think if I just do it perfectly nothing will go wrong I won't get rejected I won't be left behind I won't be an outcast so that was kind of like my personal story that I had to work on and what ended up happening simultaneously as I started to do therapy and I became licensed I graduated so I'm doing or, you know, good therapy, not the <laughs> immature therapy that I was doing at practicum. As I start to do more therapy, as you know, people come to therapy complaining of mood issues or sleep issues, relationship issues, all very valid. Mm -hmm. And as they are working on those issues, I start to see so many of perfectionism and many mental health issues. And that's where I became more and more interested in this topic, because I do think perfectionism is, is a mental health issue. It is linked to ADHD, OCD, eating disorder, depression, addiction, codependency. So when, as you mentioned, when you personally deal with something and you see it in your work, it feels like a no brainer to keep focusing more on it. Uh, absolutely. It's so true. And so for you, though, it, it really started all, all the way back at 15, you said, coming into a new culture and country at that time. Did you know you were trying to be perfect to fit in? No, absolutely not. And I think it's one of those um, failures in the system where there's not enough language to help people mm -hmm. process their experiences. Um, and I do have to say, I think there's a little bit more to the story where I grew up in a culture also that promoted very good behavior from mm -hmm. students and young children. I grew up in a very traditional, in the sense of like, be a good listener, follow your teachers, follow what adults tell you, and don't make a noise. Um, I mean, my parents are loving people. It's not that it was in a loving environment. So I did grow up already a little bit of that, like, you know, do as you're told and, and be a good, good listener. Mm -hmm. Then there's this life transition. And, and this is another, again, a traditional kind of immigrant story where I became my parents' translators. So you go out into, you know, the bank, the grocery store, parents, teacher meetings, and you translate for your parents. So you have all these different roles where you're trying to, again, serve and, and do what you're told. 
So it was definitely uh, things that um, happen in sequences that all I know is that in my 20s, I was just dealing with a lot of anxiety and a lot of guilt. Like, oh, did I say that the wrong thing? It's mm -hmm. like that you leave a social setting and you find yourself examining how you conducted yourself to make sure you didn't say anything to offend anybody and everybody was happy with you. So all of these, like kind of like this internal, I think internal battle I had that was kind of getting very overwhelming. And that's when I'm glad I came across that book to help me understand what I was dealing with is trying to be perfect, which is nonsense. It's such a gem of a book. I, I recommend it to anyone out there. Of course, everyone out there has heard of Brene Brown. If you haven't, you definitely need to check out her work. Um, but I, I'm just connecting and hearing the, and trying to imagine being a teenager and being responsible for the translation, interpretation, and communication for your parents in the engagement in this new culture society. And it felt like pressure as soon as you were describing that. It is. It's a lot of responsibility. And that's what perfectionism is in the essence. It's this idea that you always have to do more, be more for those around you and achieve more and um, never and make it look effortless. That's the other dilemma here where you, especially with this type of life transition, there's a lot of gratitude, of course, to to have new opportunities, to have new to new relationships. I never took it for granted. And yet there's also this pressure that you must then. And that's what, that's another thing I often talk to people when they ask me, like, what causes perfectionism? And you want to look at minority groups and you want to look at how there's this pressure to, you know, prove that they deserve their seat at the table mm -hmm. and that they have to do things perfectly so they can they pay back their parents the sacrifices they made for them. Mm -hmm. That this historical pressure of you must be a certain way in order to make it. Of course, yes, absolutely. And how that can weigh on somebody. So you've touched on it a little bit, but how do we define what perfectionism is? How do you define it? I definitely want to recognize the basic understanding of perfectionism, which is wanting to do things perfectly, wanting whatever we're working on, whether it's a task or a relationship or a personal health, physical goal, we want the outcome to be perfect. Yes, that is the one of the pieces. I think where it gets more debilitating is what happens to things that are less than perfect, aka our imperfections. Mm -hmm. I think perfectionism become a mental health issue because we start to reject and dismiss parts of our lives or parts of our body, parts of our internal self that is not perfect. For an example, I can get stuck on my accent and say, I don't, I don't sound perfect. Then I start shaming myself for having an accent. And then maybe I will never speak my native language or I stop speaking my native language. Uh, let's take body. Uh, if I feel like a part of my body is less than socially prescribed, you know, uh, pretty attractive, then I start hiding it, obsessing it, having that body image issue. So again, what makes perfectionism so debilitating isn't necessarily that I want things to be perfect. That's nice, I guess. But what happens to parts of me, parts of my work, when it's not perfect is I start to have an inner battle where I hate on that parts of me that are less than perfect. And your that rejection of parts yes. of the self, again, starts to be the push and the pull and the fight that we get into. And I imagine in some of this recognizing, especially as you named body and, and certain accents, that it's understanding that a privileged group of people created some of these norms that weigh on us, right? Unearned privileged people created these norms that we can hold ourselves to unconsciously. Um, so when you are noticing perfectionism, when you pick up a new client, where does the work go from there? So we definitely want to first have this conversation that we're having here, which is unpacking and uncovering our perception of perfectionism. Mm -hmm. 
because I have to say, even though there people may in be interested in this topic and so they are listening to this podcast, which is awesome, in real life, nobody really comes at me and say, you know, I have perfectionism, I want to overcome it. A lot of times it's a battle in the sense that they first really have to unpack how perfectionism is not unhealthy. So meaning they have to debunk those misperceptions around perfectionism. A lot of time perfectionism, there's a belief that perfectionism is the same as doing our best. Mm -hmm. It's just same as striving to do my best. If I let go of my perfectionism, I am going to be lowering the bar and that is going to be mediocre and more, even worse, you're asking me to compromise on my dream, on my vision, on what I want for myself. And I have to have these conversations with people. So where we start is really first understanding what, are you, what do you really think about perfectionism and what it really is? Because perfectionism is not letting go or compromising on your dreams and wants and needs. And, and, and like, let's say that's, again, overall happy life. Letting go of perfectionism does not mean you're going to have an unhappy life. It's actually, yeah, it may seem unhappy initially, but ultimately you'll have a happier life than you currently have if you let go of perfectionism. So again, I first want to begin with like unpacking and uh, cleaning that stuff up because people, I think, come into therapy with so much misperception on what perfectionism really is. And then we definitely want to understand how it's showing up in their lives. As you know, with any, you know, mental health issue, two people with an eating disorder will not look the same. Two people with addiction will not look the same. So two people with perfectionism do not look the same. And actually, one of the things that I get the most kind of conversation on social media is how much perfectionism is behind procrastination. A lot of times we think perfectionists are type A people, which, again, I'm guilty of that because I was that person. Type A, again, do what you're told, be a good student, get it all done, don't ask for help, and I will stay up, stay up at night and do everything. So there's that one version. And then there's another version of perfectionism where because the standards are so high, it gets actually, uh, it actually causes paralysis in the person. So they, they get flooded by all that high expectation to do things perfectly and they actually just freeze and they can't move a muscle. So they get on their phone, they play video games, they may sleep a lot. And then what do other people or themselves say? Oh, I'm so lazy, I'm so unmotivated. Just, you know, it's not meant for me. I'm just not as you know smart as they are, cool as they are. That's just why, why bother? So mm -hmm. a lot of perfectionism is behind procrastination. Sorry, yes, perfectionism is behind procrastination. So. What I want to do is talk to people about like, how does it show up in your life so that we can obviously have more individualized path on, on what we need to do. I, I love that you're hitting upon the, the various and sort of endless ways perfectionism can manifest, that there's just such individual differences, which we, we know are true across the board, whether we're talking about depression, anxiety, I, I know for me, my perfectionism was really born out of the early life traumas I went through that I, I definitely feel like I'm type A. I definitely have OCD. But another big aspect for me was after I went through my early life traumas that I really felt like unconsciously what I was telling myself is my way to avoid pain and suffering is to start doing everything perfectly in school and getting all good grades and getting the best degrees and, and everything that it bore out this, I'm overcompensating for the traumas that I've been through that caused such immense pain. Because before that, I would, I would say I was definitely not perfect. But in any, I didn't care about school. I didn't care about things. But there's a definitely a switch after uh, losing my dad and then my brother. Um, do you see that a lot? In, in your work, that it can be born out of a trauma response? I definitely think that life experiences play a very big role. Mm -hmm. So what I like to ask people is to look at their life and look at as many, as many things that seem significant to them. Right. As you know, I don't think it's helpful for us to like, you know, put everything into one event because then there's a lot of like that 
I see with my clients with, especially if they're OCD, for example, gets triggered after a specific incident, they kind of think like, oh, if that didn't happen, I wouldn't have this or their addiction Mm -hmm. or their perfectionism. So I don't want people to get fall into that trap, but definitely there could be those bigger events. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there could be the small ones that that added to the added to the added to the cycle. Mm-hmm. So, and I think what you're also pointing out is how much perfectionism is a false defense against fear. Mm-hmm. So we're afraid of something. We're afraid of feeling pain. We're afraid of being alone. We're afraid of. I know these are some maybe a little classic things, but they're such universal fears we have rejection abandonment neglect looking foolish and uh, making a mistake and obviously mistake that could be costly financially physically so perfectionism does feed off of the depth of the pain we have or the depth of the fear we have so yes we want to look at all life events and what you just shared reminds me another I guess a life event that I want to recognize is grief. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of times when people are going through grief and loss, they want to prove to the world that that grief, that loss didn't take anything from them. So the next holiday after we lost mom, they try to make it the perfect Christmas Mm -hmm. or after their house burned down because of the fire the, the next holiday or next summer, they want to make sure that it's a perfect, we see with the pandemic, we're seeing it when people, and I know throughout the country, there have been different restrictions. So people could be at different places with this. But for some, as they're getting out of the pandemic, we see this, like, I have to make up, I have to make up for that loss by having the perfect summer. Where can I take my kids? You know, where can we go? Disneyland, San Diego, Hawaii, where can we go? Can we go to Europe? So as you see, like, I think we try to overcompensate. And I think that's where perfectionism uh, finds a way through is fear, loss, grief, and, and a way to, way to kind of make up for things. You're totally right. There were so many things that you were saying that I'm like, I relate to that. I relate to that. I was like checking all the boxes off uh, that you were naming there. So you start working with someone you start kind of looking at their narrative a bit of recognizing this pattern of perfectionism. Where are the interventions? Like, or what do the interventions look like from stopping this pattern? So definitely in terms, like for intervention, there are things we have to stop and there are things we have to start. So the first thing we want to do is like we talked about, we want to track it, right? We want to really look at what we're dealing with, what's broken, where, where is the, where is the, problem here and once you figure out exactly how perfectionism showing up in your life and I do want to say it can show up in both ways you could be that highly organized detail oriented uh, that hamster on a wheel and then you get burned out and exhausted and then you spend the whole next week in bed so that could be another version too for those people who could find themselves in both of those situations so once you track your perfectionism you definitely want to decide what is that needs to be stopped and, and it could be behavior patterns, like uh, this rush to get everything done on your to-do list, or it may, what we may have to stop is more internal uh, patterns, like negative self-talk, the inner criticism, the judgment that it's never good enough, it should have been better. So a lot of the other psychoeducation I do with my clients is a lot of their inner dialogue, because they, perfectionists have a lot of all or nothing thinking where Things are either perfect or they were a waste of time. They were a total failure. So we want to obviously let go of some of that division and see the gray. Um, There is a lot of shoot statements and there's a lot of magnifying, like one mistake they make and, and a typo is unacceptable. So we want to change some of that inner dialogue. We want to also change some of that behavioral patterns. I love doing exposures. So I advise people that one way, like, because you see, there's this, obviously it comes from a good intention, but there's this cliche thing we say, embrace your imperfections, embrace them. Mm -hmm. That's very nice. But guess what? At the end of the day, you got to do things imperfectly. (laughs) You got to just do things imperfectly. 
and and you got to set it up you can't just say okay i'll just wait till next time i do something imperfect i'm like no today you got to do something imperfect i'm laughing and smiling so hard as a defense right now cuz i feel so uncomfortable <laughs> i'm thinking <laughs> i love it then <laughs> yeah i'm thinking of my good friend uh um not your average therapist kristen out there who made me because my perfectionism comes out so much in content creation she made me record something one take and post it cuz i had shared with her i'm like i usually do about anywhere from like 10 20 30 takes on one video. I mean, I've spent hours and hours, a lot of my followers know this that this is like where it really comes out for me, the perfectionism. And again, that intervention, that exposure of recording it one time and having to post it to social media was so uncomfortable. I could have told you the 30 things that were wrong with that video. Like I would have done differently. I would have done that differently. In doing that exposure work and me posting it, I, I learned that I could survive it. Even though in my head, I was picking out all the things I could have done differently. I got to see the result of it of like, I survived, it's posted. And nobody is pointing out all the things that are going on in my head. Oh, exactly. Nobody's judging us as harshly as we are. And the reason that I loved your feelings of discomfort is because, as you know, that's when we know we're doing the right exposure is that Mm. we have to get a little uncomfortable. Mm. Otherwise, we are still in our comfort zone. So that was, I think, a great sign that you're that you're in the right path. Anybody who wants to do some some things, some exposures, just see level of your discomfort. That's how, how you can tell you're in the right path. It's so true. It's always fun when it's someone else's. When it's someone else's discomfort, it's interesting. In fact, when it's my discomfort, now all of a sudden I'm like, wait, (laughs) but we got to practice what we preach. Yes, yes. But you see, I want to take that example just to mention two things. People can look at what what they're spending a lot of time on, Mm -hmm. mentally ruminating Mm -hmm. or physically repeating. That will tell you exactly where you're stuck in your perfectionism. So let's say I come home again, I went out to lunch and I find myself on my way home drive or once I get home, I keep kind of reliving the lunch. That's a mental time I'm spending on to see that my social perfectionism, was I socially perfect or with this video recording, you're spending time re-recording it. So people can look at time as a great indicator where they are trying to do things perfectly because it it consumes a lot of time. And the other thing I want to acknowledge here is when we say to ourselves, you know what, I'm not going to double check my work or triple check my work. I'm just going to write this email and send it to them. It may not feel rewarding right away. Because what we're initially going to feel is the fear that we've been avoiding. Mm -hmm. It's the fear of judgment, fear of making a mistake, fear of looking foolish. For I think the core belief really comes down to fear of not belonging there. Like this email will show them that I was never worthy of being their therapist. I was never worthy of being their colleague. I was so the mistakes to us, I think deep down mean that I don't deserve this. I'm not good enough to be here to have X. And that could be a child as a parent. If I make a mistake as a parent, what it really eats at me is I'm not good enough to be her mom. So I just want to recognize that it doesn't feel good or rewarding right away. I think only by repetition after weeks or days or months of it, do we start to see a change in our lives where Maybe the way we wake up in the morning is changing finally, where we don't wake up with so much anxiety. Or when we make mistakes, we just kind of like, ah, that happens and move on. And it's in those small moments that we see in the, in the long run that all this hard work is paying off. So I just want to acknowledge that it's not going to, you're not going to be rewarded. The, the gods or the universe and the angels are not going to throw confetti at you when you do something imperfectly the first time. I wish that's such a good image, but you're, you're totally right. With so many interventions we do, uh, creating behavioral psychological change. Um, the first feelings are usually not 
complete ease and stress-free. We have so many questions to get to off of Instagram. Shout out to everybody, as always, for asking your very thoughtful questions. There are tons and they were very great. But before we do, I have just a couple more for you. Especially here in America, in American culture, there's such an emphasis on hustle culture, level up. And, you know, eat, sleep, drink your passion, be the first one there, the last one to leave. I mean, I've spoken at length to my followers and lives and that we are such a burnout culture. How do you convince people or demonstrate to people that you can, as you said earlier, you still have your dreams, you can still be pursuing them, and yet you you can also not be controlled by perfectionism? This is so true because it also makes me think of toxic positivity. There's this idea of being always energetic, right? Being always ready to go and upbeat and goal-oriented. So I think this is such a nice reminder that there are already and will will continue to be so many things that will feed our perfectionism. Um, So because one of the questions I typically get, having shared that my perfectionism definitely took off once I came to the United States because of the significance of that life change, And now I'm in my late thirties, people think, oh, you must, you know, you got almost two decades to deal with this. You must get, you must be over it. And I'm definitely a lot more insightful, but the truth is perfectionism latches onto whatever you value. So five years ago, when I first became a mom, my perfectionism was, was right there, shaming me with every mistake I made or every confusion I dealt with. So perfectionism will never, never be, never, never disappear. So I think the idea is that instead of having it in the driver's seat, the goal is to have it in the back seat, kind of like a background noise. So again, I just want to recognize there is going to be always cultural messages. Uh, You may say, well, we just got out of the pandemic. I got to make up for that, right? Like with money or traveling. So I just want to acknowledge that this is a never ending, like there will always be triggers and temptations. But coming back to, I guess, setting our limits with perfectionism, I would say first and first and foremost, you've got to, again, be insightful and self-aware of your perfectionism because I know what it looks like. I know how she sounds. If we were to use that voice, uh, inner voice uh, intervention here, I know how my perfectionism sounds. I know what it gets me and I know how it tries to convince me. So first I can see it when it's trying to pop its head, head up. The other thing is, perfectionism, especially with the context you just explained about hustling and manifesting, is that I like people to explain to me how they are happy or they are manifesting when they're so burnt out and exhausted. Mm -hmm. Because perfectionism is not productivity. Perfectionism is burnout. Mm -hmm. Perfectionism is endless. So we want to, I encourage people to be productive where they prioritize, which the other thing perfectionists can't do, everything is equally important, which is why they either have to, which is why they either can't do anything because everything is so equally important, or they must do everything, everything on their to-do list, and they can't just stop because everything is equally important. So one of the things we want to talk to people is like prioritize, ask yourself, what is most important today? What matters most today? So we, you want to really have a more balanced, productive life, not a burned out, endless, there's no finish line, kind of a chaotic, disorganized, messy life where perfectionism lives. So it's not compromising on your goals. It's it's about being intentional with your goals, being mindful of what can you what you can get done today. And I have to quote obviously Brenda Brown at some point. Um, she has this beautiful quote and forgive me, I don't remember which one of her books she, she has this, but she says, no matter what gets done, no matter what is left undone, I am enough. Mm. And I ask my clients to say this in the morning and say it at nighttime, no matter what got done today and no matter what was left undone today, I'm enough so that we can remember my worth is not measured by what I get done. It's so true. 
It's so true. And as we know, we have unlimited metrics that we measure our self-worth, how many followers we have, how much money we make, how big's our house, what kind of car do we drive? I mean, go on and on about the metrics that we say, well, since I'm only driving this car, I'm not really worthy compared to others. But yes. I, I, I love that. I feel like in so many different ways, as therapists, we're always trying to point out to people how it's working for them. Mm-hmm. And with so many of us out there that struggle with perfectionism, it's not working. <laughs> it's not working in that we often feel burned out. We avoid, we procrastinate, we you know, fall on the sword of our own self-esteem because uh, videotape wasn't just perfect enough. So we, I love this conversation. I'm learning so much. I, we're going to transition here to get to all those great Instagram questions. Um, but before we do, all all great podcasts have ads and sponsors. So we are lucky enough to be sponsored by the great mental health app, Dive Through. Stress can feel hard to cope with, but it also serves an important purpose, which means we need to understand how to live with it in a mentally healthy way. I've created the Stress 101 course in the Dive Through app. Learn the reasons behind stress in our lives. Discover ways to get relief when there's too much, which we all can experience at different times. Uh, You will feel confident you have the tools to manage stress and make impactful changes in your life. Download the Dive Through app for free, Google Play, Apple Store. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, we all have mental health, but many of us resist getting help because it's inconvenient or we simply don't know where to start. BetterHelp has made the process of getting with a mental health professional easy. In fact, you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. That's lightning fast. The service is available for clients worldwide. Wherever you are out there, BetterHelp is there for you. You can also log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. This is an awesome feature because we all know things happen between sessions. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in uncomfortable waiting room as you have to with traditional in-person therapy. There is absolutely something to sitting on your own couch, your own chair or furniture in your space and starting your therapeutic journey. Incredibly convenient and comforting. Visit betterhelp.com backslash drop in Dr. J. That's better H-E-L-P backslash drop in D-R-J, all lowercase. Drop in listeners will receive a special promo code for 10% off your first month. Start living a healthier life today. Thank you once again for all your amazing questions. Let's hop right into them. If someone is not in treatment, they're not in therapy, where do you recommend they start with lessening their own perfectionism? I I don't mean to sound like an advertisement, but these podcasts, I think, are a good place to start. I mean, I agree. I agree. I, I, and I, I, let me say it, I guess this way, there are so many free resources out there in a wonderful way. And I say it from a personal place too. I, I learn online, YouTube, podcasts, Instagram. And so I would say utilize free resources. And I would say there are definitely some workbooks for perfectionism that that and I wanted to recommend the workbook because I think we have to I this may sound a little old school but we have to get comfortable with writing and journaling and Mm self-reflecting you know I absolutely see the value of going to a beach or walking where it's meditative but at some point of your self-reflection you got to write things down you have to go through the motion of writing them and seeing the words that are coming up. Don't just hear something and mentally answer it. Have a place to write them down. So that's why I wanted to recommend workbook. Um, and, and, and definitely also, like it's one thing to talk the talk, but I think people have to walk the walk. So pick up one intervention that they like from this episode and really give it a try for a whole week not just the first day or second day. For example, definitely like we talked about tracking your perfectionism. Track it for this week. And one way to track it is definitely 
catching yourself, I said earlier, where are you spending a lot of time? Because if you're, you know, ruminating about something, that's because you probably are not happy that it didn't turn out perfect. So you can look at time and you can also look at your emotions. If something you're feeling anxious, angry, frustrated, insecure, self-doubt, then that's probably something that wasn't perfect. So you can also track it by looking at your emotions. I love what you said in there, especially in the tracking, in the journaling. I'm also a big believer in that. Like we can think a lot of great thoughts, healing thoughts, thoughts that carries forward. But when we don't have the tangible tracking, when we don't have the receipt of it, I know I'm like anyone else. I just forget. You can forget that great quote you heard, that great insight you had. And I know some people out there are just so opposed to writing. Nowadays, you can record anything on your phone. Just talk into it. You're at the beach. Get yourself a little space. Talk into those thoughts that you're experiencing. Talk into that uh, where you notice your perfectionism coming out that day. I, I think technology is our friend in this case for being able to express these things. I was going to say, I mean, you can always type it in your phone. So there's no like, there's, there's nothing that's stopping you, but you, we have to track it and we have to record it. We can't, whether it's a voice recording or typing or handwriting, I think there has to be a place where they're being stored. Mm -hmm. And that at some level also says something about your, your ability to sit with those words. Because the way I would, the way I see it is if I'm sitting here answering a question mentally and just, you know, answering it in my head, there's a little bit of defense I have because that, that word is not written anywhere. Technically, mm. I don't have to look at it. Mm. But once you write it down somewhere, type it, then I think there is a little bit deeper accountability here that worth hopefully motivates people to write things down. I agree. And it, it becomes the mirror. Like as you write it, you read it, as you record it, you hear it, and it, it hits you differently. This is, I talk about a lot in psychotherapy, a, a very powerful tool us therapists have is just reflecting back statements, literally repeating back word for word what we just heard. You wouldn't think that that's very powerful, but let me tell you, I tell people all the time, one of the most powerful moments in my own therapy when I was in grad school dealing with my OCD was just a sentence that my therapist repeated back and she just repeated back exactly what I had said, but I had heard it in a completely new light. Um, another great question. I know we've touched on it a little bit. How do you know you're not limiting your potential by setting the bar lower? That's a very good question. Um, how do you know? Well, okay. Here's, here's one exercise for people to do. Write down your perfectionistic rules. And let me pick up an example, because I do think that there's so many different scenarios running through my head right now. And I'm going to pick parenting and write down your perfectionistic rules here, which let's be objective and, and, and accept that you won't call them perfectionistic rules. You are just going to call them my, my, you know, necessary rules or my good rules. Mm -hmm. I am the one calling them perfectionist. Let me, I guess, own that. Write those down. And give it, give it a minute or come back to it the next day. And then ask yourself, would you have, would you have those expectations from other people in your life? Mm -hmm. Because the truth is, when it comes to other people, we're so much more flexible, so much more compromising, understanding, reasonable when it comes to other people and how they should be living their lives, how they should be working and how... They, they did enough. You should just, you know, let it go. Just turn off your laptop and go watch TV or go for a run. You've done enough is what we advise other people. But when it comes to ourselves, it's just not good enough. I have to record it again. Absolutely right. Absolutely. Yeah. So write, write, down, write, down, write down those rules and tell me if tomorrow you look at those rules and you would advise other people the same rigid, There's quite no unreasonable rules. There's no way. There's exactly, no way. Exactly. The answer is no. And that's how I know those rules got to go. No, you're right. And I love, I love that strategy. And you can clearly then draw lines of like, so if you wouldn't wish these rules on someone else, what impact do you think they're having on you? And you could be like, yeah, 
I mean, self-esteem, wasting time. I mean, you go on and on about how these rules are hindering your life. And I think that's, again, some of the lies we tell ourselves is this is lowering the bar. So like in your example, well, now my child's going to turn out terrible. My, my child's going to be worse off now because I quote unquote lowered the bar. Yes. And which is the, also, I think part of the problem here isn't necessarily maybe the rules, but it's also how they are worded. Meaning it's, this is the, also the black or white thinking that we have where I must either be a perfect parent or I am, my kid is traumatized and my kid is, I'm ruining them. I'm ruining them. And that's what I genuinely hear from parents. Like I am ruining my kids. I'm screwing them up. They're going to be just emotionally so tormented by me is the unreasonable and unkind things they, they think about themselves. So that's where we also want to address that black or white thinking and find the gray here. So you're telling me that if you give your child peanut butter and jelly sandwich for dinner instead of organic kale and spinach, um, they're, they're, they're not gonna, their height is going to be compromised, that their sight, eyesight is going to be compromised. What's going to happen? There, oh, nothing. There goes that Harvard full ride. Harvard full ride out the window. because Out that- the window, yes. Because you didn't give them the kale or the spinach. Oh my gosh. But it, I laugh because these are so many ridiculous thoughts that I have in my own mind. And I know listeners out there are like, yeah, these again are the extremes we tell ourselves with our which are just they get ridiculous. By the um, way, I I also want to recognize something because I, I don't wanna maybe when as a parent or as a let's say what where what if people's perfectionism shows up in their careers, mm-hmm. I know that they may not say it's not about small mistakes like this that I get I get my panic attacks or I get depressed or I turn to alcohol to numb myself. I understand that. I guess the point of this example was also finding ways to lower the bar in areas that you can. Can we start with the dinner? Hmm. Can we start with maybe Friday afternoon? Can we start with some things like what, where in your schedule, where in your to-do list, can you start to let go of perfectionism, delegate? Um, again, I don't like, I don't think it's lowering the bar. I think it's reframing your expectations of yourself right. that is reasonable. And maybe it will be the dinner. Can you know? And so, and what that dinner is also doing is slowly avoiding the burnout that happens with perfectionism. So someone may say to me, well, what's a big deal that I um, I don't double check this one less email? I'm like, because I ha- we have to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. Let's start with this one email that you are not going to triple check. And the other 20, yes, you'll go ahead and triple check. And then tomorrow it will be two emails that you're not going to triple check. And we're now down to 19. So it's this idea that we want to start somewhere where we don't expect ourselves to be perfect and 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 go from there absolutely real change starts with small change starts with small steps forward but i know a lot of us can think just gonna go for the biggest thing and it's just all gonna change at once and it's like the real change that goes through in psychotherapy or any sort of mental health thing is really the small the small steps forward here's another great question for you how can i become more spontaneous and stop worrying about organizing things. Wow, I love this. I love this a lot because that's that's exactly what you need to do. As a perfectionist, we are not spontaneous because we overplan everything, um, and we don't get out of our comfort zone because things are unfamiliar outside of our comfort zone. So I love that idea of being spontaneous, and I think the best answer would that be is practicing mindfulness and in the moment genuinely grounding yourself to decide what do I need right now Mm -hmm. because because spontaneity could mean I I'm going to be spontaneous and go read a book right now instead of doing my laundry or spontaneous could be uh, I'm going to book a trip 
mm-hmm. for for Memorial Day weekend that's coming up. So I I I have to be mind I have to be aware. Like I don't know exactly the spontaneous thing the person was thinking of, but I think the best way to answer that would be instead of yeah, I instead of like what I have to do, I think I'm asking ourselves what I would like to do, what I want to do, what I need to do, and having that more mindful, intentional spirit mm-hmm. would be the best way to be more spontaneous rather than again, it's you know, it's 10 a.m. This is what quote unquote I have to Absolutely. do versus what would I like to do? What what do I need? Mm-hmm. Absolutely true. And this is another thing that you had kind of alluded to earlier. Um, but what do you do when you feel anxiously frozen and stuck in the circle of perfectionism? I think a tool that we haven't talked about, so I, I have to bring it up, is self-compassion. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things I think we want to do is when we're struggling and we are overwhelmed, flooded, we are you know, having that writer's block, let's say, like we are just freezing. We can't think of what to do next and we can even move a muscle. I think the first thing we need to do is find few words of self-validation. And if, if I had to simplify it, it really comes down to, it's okay. It's okay. And then breathe. It's okay. And then breathe. And maybe do it five times in that order. It's okay. Breathe. It's okay. Breathe. And as you are soothing, self-soothing and self-validating, I think you will decide maybe you need to sit down for a minute or grab a glass of water and find what will be the next self-soothing thing I need to do? What will be the next self-soothing thing I need to do to get get out of that place of paralysis? Mm-hmm. Because I think we keep ourselves more flooded by self-criticism. Mm-hmm. Like I'm already behind. There's no time to freeze. There's no, like I'm always delaying. Get to it, get to it, get to it. Well, that, that coach voice is not going to get you out of that couch or out of that bed. First, you start start with, it's okay, breathe, it's okay, breathe. And then let's say you're in bed because you can't get out of bed. You're so overwhelmed and anxious. Maybe you the next thing is you sit up. And then the next thing is you do is that you, you know, put your hair back and, and kind of like, you know, get it off your face for a second or look out the window if there is one and pull up the curtains, open the window. So I think it's important to also take it slow that it will take one step at a time before you can get out of that place of uh, overwhelm and, and paralysis. It's so true. There are, there are so many different things that happen within our mental health and psyche where we're looking for anything to transition us. You know, I get asked this a lot with dissociation and, you know, the frozen cycle, you know, fight, flight, or freeze, you're getting so activated that your response to that is just to lock up. I love the suggestions that you put out because what we know and what you're nailing on is that judgment only keeps us there. It only keeps us down. It only keeps us frozen. But being able to tell ourselves it's okay, being able to take the breath, get the water, anything that transitions us to start momentum forward is going to be helpful. Um, It's absolutely so true. And and then maybe getting curious about what were some of the things that led to us being frozen before that, right? There's curiosity there. Was it something we told ourselves? Was it, again, having these rigid beliefs, this black and white thinking? There's so much curiosity that can come when we're like, and what happened right before this that made Yes, and up? I think definitely like in the moment, like we are talking right now, we want to first obviously regulate ourselves and get out of that space and when we feel ready and when we feel more stable we want to have those conversations because one of the things that happens with perfectionism is that this balance there's out of balance where beginning of the week I might have an idea of some of the things I want to get done but I forget that come midweek come Wednesday morning come Thursday morning I can be feeling all sorts of ways. If I have chronic pain, I might wake up with a, an unexpected pain that morning. If I have anxiety, um, if I am supporting my family, I might be getting a phone call that my elderly parent is not doing well that morning. So life happens. So we have to be flexible 
of what I intended to do that day versus what is most important for me to get done that day. So I think a lot of times we have that rigidity of this is what I was going to do or I have to get this all done versus, well, we'll get done as much as we get done. All I know is that I am going to be doing my best at the end of the day. And that's another thing I like to explain to people because some of the kind of the uh, fun feedback I get, and I, I say this because I know people don't mean to like, you know, be sarcastic, but when I tell people like, okay, start your day believing that no matter what gets done, you're enough. And they're like, well, then I won't get anything done. <laughs> or like, why, why bother? Why, why do any of those things? And I try, I try to explain to people that starting your day and reminding yourself that your self-worth, your self-esteem, that your sense of enoughness and lovability, that you're a lovable human being that is, that we are happy that you're here. When I, when I say that those are not mandated or measured by what you get done, it doesn't mean that you don't do anything else for the rest of the day. It means that I know who I am and now everything else I'm going to do are going to be aligning with those things. Like I start the day, let's say parenting, I'm a, that to remind myself I'm enough as a mom, I'm enough. Then my, that I want to make choices that align with those things. So that's how I, I do keep up with my quality of my life. That's how I keep up with my goals and I guess, get things done still, because my positive self-talk in the morning doesn't mean I'm off the hook and I just get to, you know, lay back. It just means that I know who I am, no matter what happens today. So nothing can change that. And now can I make choices that would align with that? I'm not going to lie. That hit me in a spot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go back and listen to this part of the podcast and replay it to myself. Yeah, that was so, oh my gosh, because you really get to these core beliefs that we can hold about ourselves. And then I love that you're actively disentangling that, of that you're already enough and you're offering that vouch of compassion. Because I know that's the fear that a lot of us have of like, if I tell myself I'm enough, then I won't do anything. And yet I know I have that fear, but it is nowhere close to reality. Like it's not going to happen. It's never happened actually that I start feeling good about myself. I'm compassionate. And I'm like, oh yeah. And then I spent the day on the couch. I'm like, wait, no, the days I've spent the day on the couch is when I beat the crap out of myself mentally. Right. That's when that happened. Not when I was feeling good and compassionate towards myself. Exactly. Because it's that self-criticism that paralyzes Mm -hmm. us. Absolutely. And we're so afraid that if I'm nice to myself, I'm going to be lazy. We have this speaking of cultural messages. We believe that toughness is what we need to get things done, which obviously there, there, there's already been wonderful research. Kristen Neff, whose work on self-compassion has been just life-changing. You know, uh, I think that's one of the things that we have to also challenge within ourselves is that that being tough to myself is not what what drives me mm-hmm. and when we are the idea of like looking at those underlying fears we have is hopefully the more we can cope with them and use compassion to to kind of manage them we probably then have less need to turn to perfectionism that's the intention here and that's the formula And there's no doubt that formula works. There is no question in my mind. Yeah, another awesome question. I had it, there it was. (laughs) How do you manage the need to seem perfect after being rejected in a relationship? I think the best way is to sit with the rejection or sit with the discomfort of the rejection, right? And ride that wave. And sadly, it goes back to, if I'm rejected, it must mean what? Mm. It mm. must mean I'm unlovable or worse, I'm never going to find somebody. Mm. So we have to, I guess, another intervention worth sharing is, and I'm sure you love it as much as I do, dialectical thinking. Mm. I can get rejected and I'm going to find the love of my life. And- Assuming this was a romantic situation. I don't know if I missed that, but. Um, I'm going to get rejected and I'm lovable. I am interesting. I am you know, fun to be around. 
they both can coexist. Absolutely. And it's just so funny, the things and the rules that we make up for ourselves of like, often it feels unconsciously we're telling ourselves like, I must be everyone's type. I just, I must be. Everyone must like or love me. And yet we would, we would never (laughs) recommend that to someone else. We'd tell our friend, Hey, you know, there's just some people out there. We're not going to be their type. We're not going to, the vibe's going to be off. We're not going to be a good match, but that's okay. That's reality. And it's like, do 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 we like everybody we see? No, we don't. That, that no. like, come on. There has been some people you feel more interested in, and some people you haven't. And that doesn't mean they were, they they're less than. They're just not your type. Like you know, they're not your 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 person. So I, obviously, first and foremost, we have to sit with those feelings. Mm-hmm. I think the best way to decrease the need for perfection is to sit with those fears. And also challenge the meanings we attach to those fears. Mm-hmm. Well, if I get rejected, it must mean I am never going to be successful, assuming you get rejected from a job interview. If I get rejected or you know, I'm going through a divorce, that means I am never going to find love again. I'm, I'm never going to have a happy safe, loving family environment. So we make these what we call catastrophic conclusions from the temporary state that we're in. So we also want to work through those and best way to do them or one of the best tools is dialectical thinking. I can get rejected and I'm smart enough or I'm worthy of that promotion. I am worthy of finding love. Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't have said that any better. What are the links between perfectionism and over-explaining? The link is that they go together. They go in. <laughs> the link is strong with this one. <laughs> yes, yes. The link is damn very strong. And I think the over-explaining is to seek reassurance that we didn't do any mistake or harm. So over-explaining is similar to over-apologizing. And over-explaining is kind of like an outward rumination. You know, I do over-analyzing in my head and then I over-explain to the person in front of me to justify maybe if I if there is an imperfection that took place. Let's say I, I'm late or I, I made a joke and it came across the wrong way. So I over-explain myself to or and over-apologize technically to 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 cover up that imperfection instead of allowing it to be as is which is the kind of the intervention here you you cannot over explain yourself you have to let that speaking earlier like we say we're going to embrace imperfection but we got to do the do the work Mm -hmm. which is when i make a mistake don't comment on it let it sit there like that Food, the, the food in your teeth, like let it just that, that green food, you know, whatever green salad you ate or the cucumber, whatever that sits in your teeth. Let it sit there for a second instead of cleaning it up right away. Because that's what over-explaining is. We like we're, we want to clean up. Like let the mess be. If people don't see your imperfections, then how are we going to really embrace this? So one of the things I also tell people is like share your imperfection. I, I genuinely do my best to always tell people in conversations hard moments I have with parenting because it's really really important for me to never come across and because it's and I'm I'm guilty of this on Instagram I share you know cute photos of my daughter never when she's crying never when she's giving me this teenager attitude in the body of a five-year-old of course not I don't post those (laughs) right (laughs) doesn't mean they're not happening and I make sure in conversations I bring them up um, because I want, I think part of embracing imperfection is talking about it and not cleaning it up, not covering it up over explaining it. Yeah. That authenticity. And I, I feel like, especially on social media, I feel like we're moving in a better direction where I feel like I'm not going to date myself, but when social media first came out, it was very much only the best. And now I feel like there's so many people that built great followings off of just raw, authentic. There's something so gravitational about seeing somebody just as they are. And it's relatable. And it's so hard to relate to somebody who appears perfect. Like it, 
it, yes, it just feels like, well, I'm, I don't relate to that on a day to day. I got a, a final question for you here. This is uh, to all the students out there. I know this is something they deal with a lot. And I, of course, I related to is how do you let go of the need I feel to get straight A's? It's so much pressure, yet I feel like I have to get straight A's. So I think, and I, I think there's a lot of, again, going back to that hustle mentality or the pressure we talked about, I, it's, it's a definitely a struggle here because if you don't get the straight A's, there are serious consequences that I cannot, you know, I cannot obviously prevent. You may not get into the school you want, or you may not have the GPA that you need, and you may not so forth. And so there are real consequences of not getting a straight A. But I think the best way to do this, going back to, again, what is our intention here? So when you are studying, and let's say you're studying for a final exam as the school year is coming to an end, I would highly encourage people, I know this is a little tricky or it's not so easy, but I would encourage people to know that the, that the end goal is not the A. Mm -hmm. The end goal is showing up, meaning did I, did I study? You know, did I give the time to study? End goal uh, or, or like what they should pursue shouldn't be the A, it's more that the effort and the learning journey. And at the end of the day, there has to be a balance. Okay, do not compromise on your sleep to get that A. Do not compromise your meal, skipping lunch, skipping dinners to, to, to get the A. So I would ask them to choose wisely. Like, what are you choosing? And I hope they choose balance and, um, and also celebrate. I gave, all the, I gave it my best shot. You know, because we study differently and our brain processes things differently. We all have those classmates who study two hours and they get the A and here I am studying 25 hours and I get the B. Damn you know? those people. <laughs> you know who you are, you two yeah. hour studiers. You know, those people exist. And so, <laughs> so I think we just have to kind of like, I'm very aware that the consequences are serious that if you don't get the A, there will be real consequences. And, and um, but I think we have to set some boundaries here. Yeah. And I like how you went compassionate that way with my clients. Sometimes I, I try to challenge that a bit because sometimes people tell themselves, if I were to get an A minus, if I were to get a B, you know, my life would fall apart and I'm going to end up homeless under that bridge, you know, on the South side of town mm. when the reality is no, like, and that's where I, I get really because I know I can tell myself those messages. Like, yes, I would like to get all A's and maybe me having a 4.0 will have advantages. But I also think the counter to that is some people literally think their life will stop with the B. Okay. And that to me is that extreme thinking that it's like, no, it will not. It will be a disappointment. Perhaps on some level, there's a consequence, but I guarantee it is not nearly to the magnitude that you're telling yourself. And I couldn't agree more that you're missing the intention of learning, that the goal here is to learn and be confident in learning and growing. And if you're just focused on an A, I think you miss that. And I think in life, as you know, and you work with, people develop lifelong patterns of this, it was getting A's in school, and now it's doing perfect at work, and now it's doing perfect, you know, in my exercise or eating, and it's like, they're internally, they're miserable, because they're holding themselves to this rigid standards, and they're suffering. It, oh, absolutely, there's, there's endless suffering with perfectionists, and that's why it's a mental health issue, and that's why it's not a compliment to be a perfectionist, and it is not simply you doing your best it's 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 actually doing the more than more than necessary and that's why I want to come back to like for people to decide boundaries you know this is all I can study today like I've done enough my I'm my brain is full I need to stop versus if they have an inner voice that says I must get that a then they keep studying versus saying you know what I think I've done enough I need some rest um, this is all I can study for today and try not to get so focused on, will this give me an A or the B or this, you know, the, the A minus. Absolutely right. Dr. Manije, this has been such <laughs> an important episode, selfishly 
for me. This was a healing session for myself. <laughs> I'm Thank half you. kidding, but it's been so informative and enlightening. I've, I've been sweating over here, smiling, because there's so many great messages that you're helping uh, to dispel these black and white thinking, the perfectionistic thoughts and behaviors that can come out in so many different ways. How can people follow you? Well, they can follow me on Instagram, to be honest with you. Speaking of social media, that, that is where I'm most, most active. And if they're interested in perfectionismuniversity.com, actually, I am launching a free mini e-course uh, via email so they can check it out. So just connect with me on Instagram. And this was so much fun. I had amazing, amazing time. Thank you so much for having me here. Of course. And tell everybody your handle on Instagram. Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. It's so Dr. Dr. Minije, M-E-N-I-J-E. It'll be tagged down there in the comments thank the description. Thank you so much for being here. As always, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Share with the group chat, comment, write a review. Always appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs>